to overcome. Overwhelming, maybe you feel hopeless, like it's impossible. I'm not sure what that might be for you. Maybe that's, maybe it's just financial pressure. Maybe it's uh, unemployment. Um, Maybe you're facing difficulty in a relationship. Maybe you've been praying for something for, maybe for years, and you feel like there still has been no breakthrough, like something just hasn't happened yet. Maybe it's a very real health crisis that you or someone you love is facing. Maybe it's mental health. Perhaps it's battling an addiction. Whatever it might be, I'd like to take a moment now and pray. I'm just going to read a couple of verses of Scripture to just kind of encourage us, and then I'd like to stand together and pray. But you can be seated for just a moment while I read the Scripture. If you're facing something, maybe hold that in your mind. Maybe it's already on your mind when you came in this morning. If you're facing something insurmountable, remember Jesus' words about mountains. Matthew 17, verse 20 says this, Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Some of you, myself included, I think, need to let faith arise in our heart. Now, we shouldn't ignore reality, but we should let faith rise. Faith is having confidence in God. It is being sure of what we hope for. And our hope is that at the end of the day, we will have him and that he is more than enough. Now, if you have faith, but also feel like you have unbelief or doubts, maybe you could simply reach out your hand and say, Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Let me read to you from Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine nakedness or danger or sword as it is written for your sake we face death all day long we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered no in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for i am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons neither the present nor the future nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. More than conquerors doesn't mean without opposition or difficulty in this life. In verse 37, it says this, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. In all these things? (laughs) Yes, in all these things. Now, Some of you in a moment will pray and ask for the Lord to deliver you from the circumstances you are in, and he will intervene. Miracles will happen. Some of you will continue to feel like you're facing death all day long. But I promise you, he will not withhold himself from you. Nothing will separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Can I ask you to stand while we take a minute to pray? I'd like us to pray just for some impossible situations. Perhaps you've got one on your heart, in your mind. You can reach out your hand to him. You can stand in faith. And maybe we can even just say together, Lord Jesus, 
I trust you. Yeah, feel free to just begin to pray out. Lord Jesus, I trust you with my insurmountable situation. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, for those facing financial pressure, uh, pressure, Lord Jesus, would you provide? For those who are facing unemployment or struggles in their work, would you make a way? For those who are facing challenges in their relationships, I pray that you would soften people's hearts, that you would bring understanding and reconciliation. For those of you who have been praying for something for a long time, Lord Jesus, would you do a miracle in your timing for them? For those who are facing a health crisis, Lord Jesus, would you bring the healing that they need? For those who are struggling with mental health, Lord Jesus, would you renew their minds? For those battling addiction, Lord Jesus, would you bring freedom? Would you set them free? I invite you to just simply repeat these prayers after me. Lord Jesus, do the miraculous in my life. Lord Jesus, be exalted in my life. Lord Jesus, be glorified in my life. Amen. Thank you for praying with me. You can have a seat. If you experience deliverance, breakthrough, something happens. If you see God moving, I encourage you to share that with someone. It's always faith-inspiring to hear when we inquire of the Lord, when we seek him, and when he does something in our lives. Share that with other people. It will encourage them. Now, we are in a series about the commands of Christ. And this series is a part of a big picture, paradigm-shifting uh, idea in, in terms of how we do things as a church. And we hope that this leads to more people coming to Christ, more people taking discipleship seriously, both in how they follow and in how they fish. Now, in the opening weeks of this series, we talked about why we should be sharing the gospel with people and making disciples. And we shared with you, again, a helpful resource from No Place Left. It was called the 411 Discipleship Training Video. We've shown you a few clips over this series, and so we won't uh, take another minute to watch it now. If you haven't had the chance, I encourage you to go and watch it. One of the things from that video is that sharing the gospel is a core part of our identity when we become Christians. We looked at uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to about 21. We won't read that now, but where it talked about two things that are true of us because of Jesus. You are a new creation, and you are his ambassador. To follow is embracing new creation living. And to fish is to be an ambassador for Jesus to other people. So, follow and fish. How are you doing at embracing those two aspects of Christianity? We encourage you to consider these two aspects on a regular basis. Maybe you could do that Weekly, as a part of your personal devotions, you could consider, how's my walk with the Lord? How, how am I at new creation living? Or fish, 
who can I be sharing the gospel with? Who can I be reaching out to, building relationship with, etc.? You can do that in your personal devotions. We encourage life group leaders also to pause and take a moment and use that simple idea of follow and fish. How is your new creation living, going, and is there somebody that you could be sharing with or that you are sharing with? We'll come back to this idea of kind of regularly setting goals with that follow and fish idea near our, uh, the end of our time together. Now, in our effort to help us rethink our approach to discipleship and how we do church, we've been trying to share with you what a healthy church looks like using the church circle, a simple diagram that helps us to visualize elements from Acts 2, 36 to 47, which describes the early church. Yeah, you can pop it up there now. So, again, we've got these different icons. Maybe you've seen these before and you're starting to kind of understand what they mean, but I'll kind of walk through them just very briefly. These are also the commands of Christ that we're walking through. So repent and believe is this arrow of, yeah, join in. He's inviting you to be a part of it all. Okay, there's water baptism, the little squiggly lines. There's some waves. Uh, we see other things that are in Acts 2, like prayer. This kind of circles connected to circles diagram. That's about making disciples. That's what we're going to be talking about here today. There's love. People were caring for one another, loving, sharing, that kind of thing. Uh, we see that they worshipped. Uh, they had the Lord's Supper. They centered themselves around uh, that idea, remembering the Lord, his death, and what he's done for us. There was giving and generosity. You know, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the word, understanding the scripture, and that kind of thing. And we see that there are leaders that are involved in making that all happen. Uh, again, the big circle around it is the church. It's the gathering. Get together. Be committed to one another. Okay, so that's the church circle. And again, we think that's a great way to kind of think about the simplicity of the commands of Christ, about... Um, what a healthy church might look like, but we also know that it's more nuanced than that. And in fact, other people have kind of taken it a, a few steps down the line to add a few more things that were maybe missing from this very simple diagram. So I thought we could look at it now. It's called the church waffle. Now, if you prefer waffles to pancakes, I mean waffles to circles, you're welcome to use this. What it does is it adds in two other key elements. Again, it's getting a little more complicated, and that's why we chose the church circle, because it's very simple, very straightforward. But all this kind of adds in is two other elements that we also see in Acts and that we, again, want to affirm here at Hillcrest is the work of the Holy Spirit. Again, a command that Jesus gave. This is recorded in Acts, you know, chapter 1, verse 4. You know, he's, this is the command that he gave. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We think that's a critical part about obeying Jesus is to be filled and continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the other aspect is signs and wonders. This is John chapter 14, verse 12. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And we see that there are signs and wonders happening in the early church, and we believe that those things uh, are Come along with a healthy church. We believe all these aspects make for a healthy church. We hope that all of these things become more and more true of us here at Hillcrest. But what's important is having a clear and simple way to cast vision for a healthy church with new disciples so they can become disciple makers who will develop healthy churches. We want to make it simple. We want to be obedient rather than making it so complex that we can never really get started. Okay, so that's kind of where we have been. Um, let's take a look at where we're going to talk about today.
This week we're going to talk, at the, talk about the command, go and make disciples. So let's read the command. This is Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20. And Jesus says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Now, before we kind of hop into tactics and strategies for making disciples, I still think that we need to wrestle with what it means to be a disciple of Jesus so that we have a clear idea of what we're inviting others into when we share our faith with them. Now, if you ask somebody, what does it mean to be a Christian or what does it mean to convert to Christianity, you might get any number of answers, but many might sum it up like this. It's believing that Jesus died for your sins so that you can go to heaven. Jesus did die for your sins so that you can go to heaven, but his invitation to follow him, to be his disciple, to, is, is really to embrace a new way of living. It's about obedience to a body of teaching, which we see in our scripture for today. I'm reading a book called Practicing the Way, and the subtitle, I'm not all the way through it, so I won't recommend it all to you. Uh, the first part is pretty good. But the subtitle is this, Be with Jesus, Become Like Jesus, and Do As He Did. And in it, the author talks a little bit about the Jewish education system. And I think that could be helpful for us as we talk about discipleship. So the Jewish educational system in the first century, they kind of had what they called the house of the book. In Jewish custom, all children, kind of starting at age of five or six, would study the Torah, the first five books of the law. And by age 12, many of them would have memorized it. At age 12 also, most of them would head into the workforce. However, some of the more exceptional students would go on um, to kind of study a little bit more in what they just called the house of learning. These students would work at memorizing the entire Old Testament. And of these exceptional students who went on to do that, the very best of the best on completion of their higher education would then seek out a rabbi who they they could apprentice under so that they could in turn become a rabbi. They would try to demonstrate their exceptional understanding and intelligence, and the rabbi would interview them and grill them about their theology or thoughts on Scripture. And if they showed themselves to be worthy, they would be accepted as an apprentice. Although they didn't use the word apprentice, they used the word disciple. The rabbi would say to them, come and follow me. And if they were accepted, it meant that they would have full access to the rabbi. They didn't just take classes. They would live with, eat with, and travel with the rabbi. Now, rabbi means master. These were the expert teachers and spiritual masters of Israel. They were magnetic examples of life with God. Rabbis could be farmers, blacksmiths, or carpenters, but would also work part of the year, you know, working part of the year in their trade, and then also teaching and traveling, um, and they'd go with their disciples as well. They were, again, unpaid and would rely on the hospitality of people as they were traveling. We see that kind of with what Jesus does in the New Testament, but this was common in their day. Most of these rabbis trained underneath a rabbi for several years, and then around age 30, they would begin to call their own disciples. Rabbis had their own unique approach 
to life and spiritual practice, and it was called a yoke. A yoke was an idiom for their set of teachings, their view on Scripture, their take on how to thrive as a human being in the world. Many of us are actually familiar with this idea because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, 28 to 30, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, most times that I've heard this verse mentioned uh, in a sermon, most of the time was spent on talking about farm animals rather than the Jewish educational system. Again, how maybe Jesus is like this kind of steady animal and we're tied to him and we become more and more strong over time. We learn his pacing and together we can accomplish great things. Now, not to say that none of that is true, but I'm not entirely sure that it's the main point. You do have to know what a yoke is to understand what they're getting at with this idiom. Again, a yoke goes on a beast of burden, maybe two, maybe one. It's around their neck. And then all of the effort from the animal goes into producing something. The strength of the animal is converted into a crop. The effort leads to provision for the community and the opportunity to multiply what you have. So a rabbi would come along, his yoke, he would propose a way of life and spiritual practice that was like a yoke you would put around your neck. What way of life will you place around you so that all of your efforts produce something meaningful? Will your way of life produce a crop? Will it multiply? And will you find peace for your souls? Jesus seems to say in that verse, other yokes are heavy and produce little from all the effort. Instead, take mine. It's the best path because of who I am, because of what it'll produce in your life and in the world. With me, with my yoke, you will find a rest for your souls. Now, while it's important to remember that Jesus was a rabbi, you know, like many other rabbis that there were in their culture, he was no ordinary rabbi. Now, some people only see Jesus as a rabbi, as a teacher, and that's all he ever was. However, that's not really the way that the scripture presents him. For example, Mark 1, chapter 22, the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. He was somehow very different. Luke, chapter 4, verse 36, all the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are. With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits, and they come out. Not only in terms of just teaching, but there was power. Matthew 12, verse 23, all the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David, thinking of the Messiah, the promised one? Matthew 7, 28, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd were amazed at his teaching. Now, discipleship was the pinnacle of the Jewish educational system. Kind of like getting your master's or your PhD. In Mark, uh, chapter 1, 16 to 20, this is Jesus going out and calling his disciples, which is very unique and different compared to the way that the system worked. 
As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, or Peter, and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. That's what we're talking about today, discipleship, fishing for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. So Jesus approaches Peter, not kind of the other way around. And also, Peter likely didn't go to school beyond 12. And and yet, Jesus approaches him and says, how would you like to get your master's? How would you like to be Dr. Peter? (laughs) I can just kind of imagine the parent-teacher interviews happening earlier in Peter's life. When the teacher and Peter's parents sat down and they were asking these kind of questions, what kind of potential does this kid really have? Is he going to go on to become a rabbi, a spiritual leader, someone who influences others to choose the path that he's on? In his life, is his life going to be so remarkable that others will eagerly follow in his footsteps, hoping, hoping that they can kind of have a small piece of what he has? And they answered, No, but I think he'll be a good fisherman. But Jesus comes along and he says, you are the perfect candidate for a remarkable life that is worth sharing with others. When Jesus says, come follow me, his invitation is this, like the book that I'm reading says, be with me, become like me, and do the kinds of things I do. So this command for this week, go, make disciples, happens three years after Jesus first started his ministry and called his disciples. So there, Peter, along with the other disciples, they're now standing with Jesus right before he ascends, and Jesus says, go and make disciples. This was a a graduation ceremony. Everything that had happened to them, all that they had seen, all that they had heard, all the time they had spent with Jesus was a part of the curriculum. They had puzzled over his teaching. They had asked many questions. They would have known his walk, his mannerisms, the sound of his voice, his gentleness, his commanding presence, what it was like to look into his eyes. John said it this way, John 1 verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And now, as Jesus is about to just disappear into the clouds, they realize that their understanding of the yoke is now complete, the way of life that they must embrace. They realize that they are no longer disciples, They are disciple-makers. But rather than calling themselves rabbi, kind of from here on out, the 12 disciples are called apostles. That word simply means sent ones. Hillcrest Church, many know it as, is actually Hillcrest Apostolic Church. We are the sent ones. Or at least we should be. Now, the scripture warns us not to take the Lord's name in vain. That does not have to do with cursing or swearing. Those are other things. But to take the the Lord's name in vain is to call yourself a Christian, but not act like one. It is to say, I'm a part of an apostolic church, 
and then not go. Now, we are all at different places in our apprenticeship with Jesus. But I guarantee that there are many of you here who need to shift from disciple to disciple maker. That doesn't mean that you have to have it all figured out. It doesn't mean that, you, that you're not going to make mistakes. If you read the rest of the New Testament, you'll find out that even the apostles weren't perfect. But our world needs a different yoke around its neck. There's heaviness on other people. Their way of life is weighing them down and not producing much in terms of goodness in our world. But imagine if even just Musha embraced the way of life that Jesus invites us to in his teaching. Imagine the crop that that way of life would produce and the multiplication that would come. If our city embraced Jesus, it would change the world. But someone has to go make disciples baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. If you are not a Christian, Jesus is inviting you to be with him, to become like him and to do as he did. Jesus is coming to you and saying, you are the perfect candidate for a remarkable life that is worth sharing with others. In fact, you can begin your discipleship journey today. Jesus is saying, come and follow me. And if that's you this morning, you can respond in this way if you would like. You can pray alongside me as I pray this prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. I put my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. You can pray, help me live a life that honors you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Another part of the paradigm shift that we need to make as a church is not just digging into advanced teaching without being able to put it in gear. We want to lean towards obedience. One of the things that our groups have been doing, and we've been encouraging you to do as well, is to set some goals. Anytime, again, you're doing personal devotions or you're meeting with your life group, is to think about what does it mean to follow and what does it mean to fish. Here's some thoughts on following based on what we've kind of talked about here today. You know, what does Jesus want you to be obedient with today? I think be with Jesus is one of those things. If you're going to be shaped by him, you have to spend time with him. Devotions are a great way to do that. Simply taking some time to read the Bible, to spend some time in prayer, maybe to prioritize some Sabbath rest, just time and space where you can be with Jesus. Become like Jesus Christ-like character and attitudes. Maybe uh, there's areas in your life you would identify don't exactly match the character of Christ. 
or his attitude towards people or situations? Are there some apologies you need to make? Do you need to forgive someone? Maybe you have been impatient and you to um, seek him and invite him to forgive you and to help you to be patient in those situations. Or do as he did. Who should you be serving and ministering to this week? Maybe it's about just taking go quite seriously, that you're going to go. You're going to see yourself as a disciple maker. As we kind of wrap up uh, this morning, uh, I want to just encourage you to think of yourself. If you've been a Christian for quite a while, I want for you to imagine that there you are standing in your cap and gown. And again, your, your walk with Jesus up until this point uh, has been preparing you for this moment. Uh, if you feel like you've never shifted into gear to be a disciple maker, I want you to imagine yourself there. Um, all geared up, ready to go, the excitement, the anticipation, the nerves, the butterflies in your stomach. And then it's your turn, you come across the stage. There you are standing, and Jesus comes to you, and he kind of moves, you know, the tassel from one side to the other. He says, go and make disciples. Your life is worth sharing. You are the perfect candidate for a remarkable life that is worth sharing with others. Now, as we, as we wrap up, I'll invite the worship team to come back. Um, we haven't really talked about tactics and strategies. Making disciples, you know, maybe you were here and you had your notepad out and you thought, we didn't even get to talking about how exactly to get this all done. Well, I'm glad to say, in keeping it simple, we already have a strategy. And many of you already know it. Um, we've been trying to give you a number of tools and resources that you can use, you know, something like the three circles, gospel presentation, your 15-second testimony. But uh, we've been talking to you about prayer evangelism for a long time. Prayer evangelism, you know, that's where you start by talking to God about your neighbor before you start talking to your neighbor about God. You begin in prayer. But it's supposed to lead to evangelism. He said there's four different things. The first one is to bless that so you bless people in prayer. You are a blessing, you know, in terms of your presence, in terms of your conversation, what you say, that you are a blessing in every way that you can be to people who are far from God. And you look for a way to spend time with them. You make yourself available. You clear your schedule as much as possible so that you can be with other people. Just like Jesus said, come, follow me, be with me, become like me. And as you have the chance to be with people, to meet their very real needs, you'll have this opportunity to share the gospel and to say, God loves you. He has a plan for your life, uh, that he wants to spend eternity with you, uh, that he's made great sacrifice to make that all happen. Would you stand with me? We're going to close in prayer. The worship team is going to lead us. Uh, I wonder if... Uh, you know, we often end our services and say, if you have anything to pray for, come on forward. And a handful of people do. There's maybe real and pressing needs that might prompt you every once in a while. But I think you should take greater advantage of the opportunities at the end of our service to pray. 
you don't always have to come forward with your needs. And in fact, as we've been encouraging you uh, through prayer evangelism to be specific, I'm praying for these people. I wrote their name down on a piece of paper or somewhere in my phone. It's these people. I'm praying for these people. I'm persisting in prayer for these people. I want to see these people who are far from God come to know his love, come to know his design for their life, that they could have hope and meaning and purpose. I wonder if uh, we, instead of, um, not that slipping away or uh, heading into conversation and fellowship is a bad thing, but I wonder if we had time and space on a Sunday morning at the end to say, come and pray with somebody. If instead if it was like, well, there's nothing uh, critical going on in my life right now, I just, I'm going to head to BP's for lunch. But if instead there was a burden on our hearts, Jesus commanded us to go. And if we were thinking, who are we going to, if we, if we were bring those lists forward and to say to our altar and ministry teams, you know, they, as you approach them, you know, well, how can we pray for you? It's these people right here on my heart. I would love to see them come to know Jesus as their Savior and as their Lord. And I hope that more and more of you are mindful of who you would like to reach and further further into prayer and regular prayer for those people and joining together with other people who are doing that. So I know Good News Prayer, again, is happening this evening. We'd love to see you all there. But every single Sunday when we say, let's take a moment and pray. If you have any needs, come forward and pray. You can pray for those people. There's many other needs you could bring, and so we want to welcome you to be able to do that as well. Let me pray for us as we wrap up and as we go to worship. Lord Jesus, we want to uh, hear um, with open hearts and open minds, with our spirit even, your command to us to go and make disciples. That you would choose us to be a part of your grand plan of salvation. It's mind-boggling. We're uh, weak and often foolish, sometimes quite dull. We can be stubborn and disobedient, and yet you want to work out your plan, your sovereign plan in and through us. So we want to just open ourselves to you now. This command that comes from you to go. We want to receive it wholeheartedly. We want to be passionate and excited about it. We want to strategize and find good tactics, find the resources and tools that will be helpful in reaching more people. We want to experience your goodness and let that be uh, something that would just overflow out of our lives into the lives of other people. I pray for each person here, wherever they are in their apprenticeship journey with you, uh, that they would um, have that wonderful experience of just being with you that they have that um, transforming uh, experience as well, that as they encounter you, that they, their lives begin to shift, who they are even begins to shift, how they behave begins to shift, that we become more and more like you. Lord Jesus, we see the exciting things, powerful things that you were able to do in your ministry. Would you help us by the power of the Holy Spirit to do those kind of things, to really meet needs, and in the power of the Holy Spirit to... Um, go out and heal the sick and minister to people and share and proclaim the hope that we can have in you. Thank you, Jesus. Would you help us to go and make disciples? In your name we pray.
Amen. We're going to worship. I invite you to join along in.